The Poetic Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Poetic Podcast with me, Jay Rosanna. In this episode, we will be talking to Worcestershire poet Lena Bachelor about her life in poetry and her play, Out of the Darkness, Twilight of Humanity. Hello, welcome back. Today we are in the cafe garden of the artist studios of Beviri Gardens in Worcestershire. We have freshly baked lemon drizzle cake, beautifully hot coffee, and the company of Worcestershire Poet Laureate 2020-2021, Lena Bachelor. Before we jump in, let's lose ourselves for a few moments with an extract of Lena weaving a fantastical story from mystery and legend titled Angels of the Oak. Angels of the Oak It is the spells we weave from words that carry the magic of time. You, me, them. We are all sorcerers, weavers of stories. And my story comes from an older age, woven from mystery and legends. But first, let me give you a little history. Sitting at the heart of the commandery is the Great Hall, a curiosity in its own right. The hall was originally designed as a space for ceremonial activities and to display the status and wealth of the owner. This evocative room, with its stained glass window set aside to one end, has bore witness to so many changes in its lifetime. Angels of the Oak was a specially written piece for Love Worcester Heritage Festival in 2021. The full video is available on YouTube and the link will be in the description. So let's take a bite of the lemon drizzle, a sip of hot coffee, and head in to meet Lena Bachelor. Lena Bachelor, hello, lovely to hello. meet you. Lovely to see you uh, We met in person for the first time during the launch of One of the Herd. Yes. You were poet laureate for Worcestershire. 20, 20 to 21. And we'd met a few times before that on Zoom, I think. Yeah, there were so many that kicked off on Zoom that I randomly sort of like, I'll try that one, I'll see who's on that one. And I just came across so many more writers. And you stood out to me because here's someone who is talking poetry in a way that inspires me in a theatrical performative way which you don't get too much these days it's very very kind of you to say that inspires <laughs> wow that that is an honor i'm becoming more aware of it and it's something i'm developing more and more as you've seen with some of the um live spoken word performances i do i start bringing in a lot more multimedia whether it's sound or visual because i always think poetry for too long in schools has been taught as a separate subject it's poetry it's not for me it's part of everything creative it links with everything you can't have poetry without having creativity so that's something i've started to develop more to get that impression out so now it's 
it's become a conscious thing. But at the time, no, it wasn't conscious at all. What inspires you? Now, I know that you've been writing poetry since you were a teenager. Yeah. Certainly when I was growing up, people would look at you as if you were exceptionally odd and mm. strange. But I grew up as a loner very much recluse. My parents had moved around the country. At one stage, I stayed in school for six weeks before they moved again for various reasons. So I never really settled, but I was going through all the thoughts and emotions that every young person does. And I had nowhere to go with them, nowhere to express them. I didn't feel comfortable with my peers because I didn't know them. I hadn't built up that trust and relationship. So I started writing. And I think the real catalyst was my secondary school in North Wales. And we were studying poetry. And the English teacher in the midst of Wales introduced us to the dancing and the chants of the North American Indians. When I heard some of the rhythm, the beat in the words, I thought this is how I can explain myself. This is how I can understand myself. So all the the thoughts and the emotions that I was struggling with just suddenly opened as floodgates. And I've just never looked back. I would write all the time if I felt I needed solace, if I needed understanding, if I was confused, if I was angry. Even to this day, I've kept every scrap of paper. Until nine years ago, I had no idea why I'd kept them. I don't have anything from, from when I was growing up. In fact, I threw a lot of it away. Did you read poetry? Actually, this is going to sound dreadful. Not very often. Every now and then I will dip into a poetry book. I'll pick up a poem and I think I'd really like that. I connect with it. I love listening to poetry. But I grew up reading my father's bookshelves, which were science fiction, Isaac Asimov, Doc Smith, Robert Heinlein. And then I started getting into the horror genre. So Stephen King, Sean Hudson, James Herbert. And now it tends to be more historical novels. I use reading as an escape into another world. Sometimes poetry isn't quite meaty enough for me to do that. It's not long enough. It, it's over so quickly. I want something to take me away for hours, for days at a time. And okay. I think with poetry, often you read a poem and that poem's done and you still need more. You still need that escape. I understand that. Mm. So were you writing poetry just for yourself at that time? Yeah, so very much. Very, very rarely. Well, I didn't share any of it. I started submitting some poems when I was in my 20s to anthologies, and I was very, very grateful to be accepted by them. But I still never really focused on what I was doing or why I was doing it. Everything came to a head nine years ago. I found myself in a different stage of my life revealed my poetry to a very close friend of mine who I'd known for, well, I've known her for over 20 years. And she's like, all this time I thought I knew you and I never knew you wrote. She had been with me through so many events in my life, uh, through the birth of my children, through changes, through moves, had actually physically helped me move. And she never knew what was in those boxes. And did she read them all? She made me read a lot of them too, where we stayed up till early hours, silly o'clock in the morning. It would be impossible to read all of my poems in a day. I've written nearly 700. Well done, well done you. So with the writing at that time, and I can see that you were published in a, in a whole bunch of anthologies. Mm. Was there a theme? Were you inspired by the science fiction horror that you were reading? Um, looking back understanding myself, my place in life, events that would get me really, really angry, sort of things like the violence that exists in the world, the things that, as mankind, we do to each other, let alone the planet, those kind of things. So you're writing poetry, life's kicking off. It's certainly changing. <laughs> it's certainly changing. 
at what point did you think, I'm going to stand up in front of people? Oh, gosh. So there was a defining moment. Major life changes, licking my wounds, sitting in a corner. Very close friend of mine said, look, she was in a local um, singing group. So come along and watch our show. Get yourself out of the house. You're allowed to go out and have fun. So I was like, yeah, okay. So I went along, watched her. I said to her after, I said, you look like you're having so much fun. It's fun. Come and join us. I was like, no, nah, I can't hold a tune. And that goes back to my childhood. I used to love singing in the shower with the hairbrushes we've all done. And I remember saying to my father, when I was about 16, he had decided to send me away to boarding school to do my A-levels. We're talking nearly 300 miles. And I hated it. It was not my scene at all. I came back for the Christmas holiday and said, I want to give up this. I want to go singing. I don't want to become famous or earn lots of money. I just want to sing. Just want to be creative. Understand I've got to get a job, everything else. And at first that night he said, yeah, I can see that's your heart set. That's what you want to do. The next morning he said, you're on the train, you're going back. You can't sing. Harsh. So I was like, no, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do what you do. She said, yes, you can. Come along. And, you know, it's inevitable when you're sitting with somebody, you're having a meal, you're having a drink, you get yourself persuaded. So I said, OK, I'll come along. She said, well, you know, just rehearse a song, have a song ready, just so that the MD can say which section you need to be in for your voice. Like, okay, I can do that. Absolutely terrified. Never been up on a stage, never done anything like this before. Went along to their rehearsal space, started singing my song. The MD was very quiet at first. I turned around. There were 80 other people listening to me. 12 weeks later, I performed Jesus Christ Superstar with them in Gloucester Cathedral. Well done. I loved every minute I've never looked back. In that group, there was a writer who we both know, Kevin Brooks. So connected with him, we're talking. I said to him one day, I said, I've seen quite a few photos where you're doing this spoken word thing. What is it? So he told me, and it's when Speakeasy were at the Rectifying House in Worcester. Okay. Come along, try an open mic, see how you find it. Went along, loved it. My second performance was then at 42 Worcester, and I haven't stopped. So for people who don't know 42 Worcester? We believe it's the country's only alternative genre spoken word. There are lots of alternative genre groups around who combine various theatrical events. But this is purely spoken word. Alternative genre, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, gothic. It's amazing. And it's the most friendly group you could ever want to come across. And very varied. eclectic. Very varied. Very eclectic. They have a prompt each month, but there's no obligation to write to the prompt. And I love going along. We were both there last night. We were. And I love everybody's imagination and the take on the theme. Yes. And it encourages your mind to go in different directions and expand out. So that's the thing I like. So the sort of poetry that I take to 42 Worcester isn't the sort of poetry I would usually write. So it's quite interesting that you touched on musicality. And I mm -hmm. think when I say theatricality, I think now you've said it, a lyrical quality. And I think that's nailed it. Can we hone in where you've gone from writing very personal poetry, you've shared mm -hmm. it with your friend for the first time. Now you're standing in front of a microphone. There are 80 people. Can you remember that moment? I can terrifying and I still get incredibly nervous whenever I do any performances whether they're online or in person I think that's because I care about what I'm providing the audience with but also empowering and humbling 
all at the same time. Yeah, I get nervous because I care about what I'm doing, but it's not because I want to be the best or anything like that. I actually don't care, genuinely don't care if people like what I write or not. Same. Because if they say, I really didn't like that piece of work, I, I didn't get it, I didn't understand it, what has actually happened is a connection. They're talking to another human being. They're connecting with another person. One of the things I find about performing in poetry circles is everyone's awfully nice. <laughs> everyone's all, awfully mm. nice. And they, they say, oh, that was amazing. What I'd really like to do is take poetry properly to mm -hmm. where people just not only aren't expecting it, but probably don't want it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. And it was lovely when um, Aid Cooper became Worcestershire Poet Laureate after me. He had exactly yes. those thoughts, same as I did. And together we performed poetry at Worcester City Football Ground after a football match. Yes, Aid talked about that on yes, his podcast. Yes, you don't expect to find poetry there, but you know what? It went down a storm. Absolutely. It was absolutely amazing. It's different. Mm. Which is strange because poetry has been around almost since the dawn of time, written on tablets and stones mm -hmm. in, in ancient Greece. And yet it's still seen as something a little bit different and a little mm. bit unusual. I think also because its roots go back further than writing. It was originally an oral tradition. The rhythm and the beats of poetry makes it easier to recall. So you can imagine these bards, these poets going around from territory to territory, across countries, across cultures, and relaying their stories and the news and the events of the day. And that's where a lot of the tradition comes from. These people were honoured, but they were also outside the boundaries of society. Because of their travelling, they had no set home. Yes. And I, I think that feeling has stayed rooted in our subconscious conscious when you're performing actually in the present moment where are you mentally oh. where are you are you are you in the present moment yes something i've never been asked and said something i've never consciously thought about but i think I, I kind of slip into another consciousness if you like so i'm very aware i can see the faces of the audience in front of me but i don't register individual contact at the time it's all about the emotion and the feeling of the words I'm trying to deliver. So it's almost like I slip into that and then I come back out again. It's almost like a spiritual realm kind yes, of thing. Yeah. Do you ever change the poetry as you're reading it, depending on the audience? More and more so yes. now. Um, and I think that's as I've developed and grown within my own performance style and writing. I used to be what I'd written on the page. That is what I'm reading because that is the message. Um, now I tend to be more aware of the environment of the people that I'm delivering to. So can we talk about style? Okay. There's a definite style about you mm. that I'm sort of envious of, <laughs> <laughs> especially in performing. And that's where I think I get the theatrical idea because mm -hmm. you come as like when I rock up to a poetry reading I've probably come from work yep. you are fully prepared and and it's not just about the words it's not just about the performance but it's also about the presentation mm -hmm. with you as well can we talk about that okay. there's a fantastical quality to it yes and I think because I've always had that interest um, and that affinity with fantasy and spirituality that's something that I'm uncovering more and more it's it's very deeply embedded within me but I think it's also a form of protection it's like putting on a mask putting on a shield that's not really me I'm protecting the most vulnerable parts of me even though a lot of my poetry actually does expose the most vulnerable parts about me 
And I think that's important to do as well because so if one person stands up and says, look, this is me, vulnerable, I'm just like you, that other person can sit there and say, yeah, there is somebody else out there like me. It's okay. So we've seen your costume. Uh, yeah, oh, I just love dressing up. That's a little child in me. <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's a theme because I, I, mm -hmm. I've seen a sort of fantastical. Yeah. I've seen a dramatic. Mm -hmm. and I've steampunk. seen steampunk. I've definitely seen steampunk, steampunk yes. which is probably the classic sci-fi yeah. coming through. So are you working towards uh, discovering an image or are you just are you just going with it? I think it's more a case of going with it because it's what I feel comfortable doing and being and unfortunately can't turn up at my day job dressed like that much as I would love to. Um, so it's a great outlet for me. I become this other person that I know is hiding within me that needs to be unleashed. So yeah, I probably am more consciously working towards it now. The performance is now finished and there's a few seconds, maybe even one, of complete and absolute silence yep. that seems to last forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How does that feel? The eternal second. <laughs> the eternal second. I love that. Yeah, it, it it's interesting because you, you can actually feel everybody's emotions and thoughts in the room at that point. You can feel the people that just go, what on earth have I just witnessed? and other people being very deep in thought. And then I feel all the adrenaline of that going through me. So I, I come off set and I'm, I'm physically shaking. You know, friends before now have had to hold my hands because I'm, I'm just shaking so much. And that is just the pure exhilaration as well. I did that. You, did. you know, this quiet... And my nickname at school was Dormouse. Dormouse? Dormouse. I was shy. I was retiring. I would do anything I could to hide had absolutely no confidence. You wouldn't think that seen you perform. Isn't it unusual? As a performer mm. as well, the thing that I always have to remember in my head is we are slightly ahead of the audience. Yeah. We know what we're reading. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's what happens in that silent moment. Isn't yes, it? It and is. And they're thinking, okay. No, no, yeah, yeah. processing we've just it. Yeah, we've got this big range of emotion. Mm. Mm. So, conquering performance poetry. Wow. I don't think it's something you ever conquer. It's a mountain you keep climbing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a dormouse. Uh, yeah, a dormouse little running up the top. Um, and, and for me, every single performance, every time you're called to the stage, mm. there's, there's like that breath and you're going, oh, my Lord. It's, it's, especially when it's mm -hmm. round robin and, and yeah. they've told you what the running order is. Yes. And you're going, yeah. oh, which is why I, I like to do, because um, I started an open mic and, mm. and I started it because normally when I go to an open mic, as much as I want to listen to everyone perform, I'm thinking, right, I'm fifth. Yep. <laughs> I'm fourth. I've got the lines. I've mm -hmm. got the thing and I've got yeah. the ready. Do you, do you feel like that? Am I alone in that? Is it, how no, it you're not alone. You? I do. I mean, I do <clears throat> enjoy events much more once I've done my set. Yes. Because I think, right, I've done mine. I can now just be an audience member and just enjoy what's being offered. Yeah, otherwise you, you do focus a lot. But having said that, I also hate going first because I'm thinking, oh, my word, this a... is what they're going to have to have to start with. But you're such a great opener, though, aren't oh, you? Well, thank you. And I think because in your poetry, I think you explore dark themes, but in mm -hmm. a light way, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a hopeful way. When I say yes. light, I yeah. mean in a hopeful way. Yeah. Whereas when I do poetry, I often find the dark in the light, mm -hmm. which is why I think... We probably complement each other well yeah. in the lightness and the dark. Although, trust me, I do have some very, very dark poems. I don't have much hope. Um, some of those will never be shared. 
Okay. Um, so you have poetry too. I have poetry I too that yes. will never be shared. Yes. Wow. Very much so. Very much so. Because, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, I started writing for me. Yes. To understand me. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some pieces that will never be shared. Okay. Not unless anybody goes through the boxes and finds those bits of paper. <laughs> then I'm in trouble. <laughs> so then you become a published poet. Yeah. And you've been published in several books. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. How, how did you get from writing poetry for yourself, sharing with your best friend, standing up, performing on stage? Mm-hmm. Right, I've now got a collection out. What was the process to get there for you in your mind? Yeah, I think because it's different for everybody. Part of me wanted this sense of achievement. Um, as I touched on earlier, I had quite a few dreams kind of squashed when I was younger, which yeah. I think that does leave its mark. You think, am I ever going to meet anybody's expectations? And then you become your own worst critic. Your own expectations are so high that you can never possibly meet them. And I just wanted that sense of achievement. So, you know, at this turning point in my life, I thought I've got all these scraps of paper. I need to keep them safe. So I started typing them up on my computer. Typed them, and at the time, I had about three hundred. That's just made me realise how much I've written in the last <laughs> nine years. Good grief! And as as I was typing them up, I realised there was a whole bunch that had a theme going through, which was this connection and this development of thought from a teenager to my then late 40s, where I was exploring my opinions on life, on war, on politics, and I could see the thread going through. And in the collection, I've actually put it at the end of the book, but it's the first poem I ever read at an open mic. Whenever I do read it, I always say, it's one I wrote in 1984. I really hoped at the time of writing it, it would very quickly become irrelevant, a piece of social history. But sadly today, it's even more relevant than ever. And that makes me cross. What was the that's name That's in of your my first, first book. So that's um, A Tune With No Name. Yes. And that particular poem is called Children of War. The collection itself, was it was self-published and lovely reviews, really well received. For me, it was actually holding that physical copy in my hand. It's like, I've done this. Every word in there, that's me, that's my thoughts. That's how I've grown and developed as a person in all this time. How did you decide which pieces of poetry to pull together? I just started with collecting all the poems that were on that theme and then just going by instinct, which ones I felt gave the message. I had a target. I said there'll be about 30 so poems in there. And then your second collection with Summer by My Side. Yep. The Roundabout roundabout of of Love. love. (laughs) Yeah, again, similar thought process. I just thought... I want to do another one. I actually really enjoyed the process. I have no idea why. I always explain my thought processes. I have these thought hamsters that scurry around on a treadmill inside my mind. And every now and then, one of them gets really naughty, runs off in the opposite direction, says, ha ha, I'm doing this. So I just go with it. So I knew it was going to be ostensibly love poetry, but I don't write candy sugar love poetry. That's not me. A lot of people do do it very, very well. It's not me. It's not my style. It comes. If I tried that, it would be hard work. It would come across as clunky, wouldn't be authentic. So it explores the emotions in relationships, both light and dark, the heartbreak, the hopes, the wishes, everything. And I think when you're in that good place in a relationship or you're feeling that love from wherever, 
It is like having someone walking by your side, but it is very much a roundabout. How do you decide upon titles for your work? They just come to me. They just come to you? They just come to me. <laughs> I, I, it's these thought hamsters. They just whisper in my ear and say, right, this is what it is. Okay. Thought hamsters. I, I, must, write, I must write down <laughs> thought hamsters. I, was, I swear they're breeding as well. <laughs> so many of them now. <laughs> and then we've got Under the Stones. Under the Stones, yes. Very angry to raid. Asking people to literally look under the stone and see what you've left behind. Remember these anniversaries that you would want to forget because they shine a very, very harsh light on what we do. You think of battles during the war, you think of the Ariana Grande concert, all sorts of other incidents against groups of people that are just so wrong. But we're all people. We're all human. How can some of us act like that? How can some of us do that? I think we need to be reminded that sometimes we're not very nice and we need to change and we need to reflect. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that because the three books then are, are all broadly a similar theme about the harshness yes, of life. actually. Yes, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. And perhaps yeah. the duality of self as well. Yes. It's like yeah. we mean well, but we behave differently yes. often. Okay, and then out the blue, and I'm sure it isn't out the blue, you become... Poet Laureate of Worcestershire. Yes. How did that happen? Lord knows. I have no idea what the committee were thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it was a role that I was very aware of over the last few years and one that I thought had a lot of gravitas. One I thought that would be an amazing accolade, but not one I could dedicate the time that it deserved. I couldn't envisage myself winning, but I thought if I did apply and I did win, I would have to be in the right place to actually do it justice it's a huge responsibility massive massive and I don't know why I just felt at that time it was right to try I felt I've got something I would want to do with this I've got ideas that I think if I were successful even just being a runner-up then it would open doors into arenas that I wanted to develop in. So I applied and it, it was during lockdown. It was such a bizarre experience. It was right at the start of lockdown. And that was 20 to 21? 20 to 21. Okay. Oh, wow. Right at, so the... Right at the very start of <clears throat> lockdown. Perhaps being a poet at the start of a lockdown. I pandemic. know. There's so <laughs> much material there. But obviously we had to think about how to do this differently. You couldn't go out and visit venues. You couldn't deliver poetry to schools, to other organisations and groups. But fortunately, because of my previous um, background, I wasn't scared of technology. I love experimenting and playing and just trying and just seeing. So I had to really, really think outside the box. I think that's when actually my more theatrical performances came out. The poem I submitted for... The laureateship, for those who don't know, the process is you submit two poems, one on a topic that's been chosen and a freestyle. And the topic that year, ironically, was masks. Now working behind the scenes, I know how far in advance the themes are set. So it was just pure serendipity that that came out at the time of lockdown. And I had two masks, which I held up at different stages during the recital. So I think that's where the theatricality came from. For all that to happen at the start of the pandemic when Mm -hmm. people are looking for hope and people are looking for answers and people are asking why, did you feel the pressure of that? Was there a pressure? I'm not sure if it was pressure or what my son has later explained to me, my eldest son has later explained to me, an an obligation. 
I felt this need for communities to start building. People wanted to connect with their neighbours. And I felt an obligation to actually provide that. I can write, I can get a message out there, I can get thoughts of hope out there, this solidarity, build these connections, this chain. Yeah, it wasn't the pressure. It was, this is right, this is what I need to do, this is why I've got it there at this time. How does it impact your life being a Poet Laureate? What does that mean to be a Poet Laureate? It filled it. Mm. <laughs> I think that's the best way. I've, I finally realised that there was a void I wasn't aware of that okay. was suddenly being full. Yes. Um, very fortunate. My employer is very supportive. So if I've had ideas or events I've had to go to, they're, they're very flexible because I know, you know, I'll, I'll make the time off. I'll get the job done anyway. And it's just, it's been like um, a melding of two different parts of me that suddenly come together and made a whole, yes. a whole person. I can't think of any other way to describe it. I kind of think there's a, there's a slight difference or a shift that must happen because it starts out that you're writing poetry for yourself yeah. you share poetry with a friend and discover an affinity mm -hmm. you then perform in poetry where you want to perform poetry when you want to perform yeah. poetry the poetry that you you feel strongly mm. about starting to be published adds, starts to add a responsibility because now you've got to hit a deadline that isn't yeah. yours. Uh, yes. And now you're going, oh, I've, 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 there's, a po there's a gap in my, my, my list here. I need to write a poem, so yes. there's a pressure. And then becoming something like Poet Laureate, it's just mm -hmm. then I would imagine there's a responsibility or mm -hmm. an expectation then mm -hmm. that hasn't been there before. Yes, yeah. Okay, now people are expecting stuff and that's yes. very different, isn't it? It is very different, but I keep in mind, as, as I touched on a conversation I had with my eldest son, um, he's in the military. Yes. And he does, to my mind and to most people's mind, ridiculous feats of fitness. He does things like he runs half marathons. He'll run carrying 45 pound of weight, one pound weight for every thousand deaf child in the UK and wow. raise money. Or he'll run in full body armour with 71 pounds of weight, a half marathon, to recognise the 71 British soldiers who suffered through mental health and committed suicide. And all these extraordinary feats. And I was like, why on earth are you putting your body under this much strain? I mean, it's laudable what you're doing and the funds you're raising, but why? So if I'm good at something, I have an obligation to do good with it as you do with your writing. Is there a message to, to the work that you're, that you're doing? I want us to be kind and considerate. Just consider every soul, every person, every difference. We like to be individual, we like to be unique, and yet groups of us vilify a difference. That's hypocritical. If you're going to celebrate being unique and individual, accept the difference, because differences are beautiful. Yes, they are. <laughs> Don't worry, so, I, 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 feel, yeah. I feel that definitely. And that's something that crosses boundaries. Mm. It doesn't matter who, who you are or what, what your difference is. Absolutely. And I know some people might find it um, strange, you know, explain I've got some, some of my children in the military and yet I say I don't like violence, I don't like war. That doesn't mean I don't respect what they do because what they're trying to do is help prevent and make the world a better place. So... Poet in residence at the commandery. Mm -hmm. What's a commandery? Right. And so what does it mean to be poet in residence? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that was me being very cheeky, actually. I approached them with an idea. The commandery is, I suppose some people would call it a museum. It's not really a museum in the true sense of the word. It's the building where the last battle of the Civil War took place in Worcester. And that's what it is most well known for. It's one of my favourite buildings in Worcester, probably one of my favourite in the country so far. It has a beautiful painted chamber, a room with original medieval paintings on the ceiling and on the walls, including a very rare original painting of the martyrdom of Thomas Beckett. Um, most of those were destroyed during the Reformation, so there's very, very few originals around. So I knew there was a much deeper history at the commandery than just this Civil War headquarters. It's been a monastic hospital. There's been a chapel on the site there since probably about 800 BC and a site of healing right on the edge of the city walls. It was a sanctuary and a refuge for people coming into the city at night. So I approached them and said, I want to promote this extra story behind the commandery that not many people know, especially people in Worcester don't know. All I ask for is a bit of space to come and do some writing. There's no cost on either side and we will just work together and uncover the history. And they said yes. Wow. They said yes. Um, so I've been working alongside them for a couple of years now. Yeah, so I was very um, fortunate over Easter. They allowed me to hold um, an installation, an exhibition there, where I combined photography with poetry on the theme of space and shadows. The commandery has some very unique and interesting little corners that sometimes you walk past and you miss, or they're there on the periphery. So all the photographs are looking at these little corners, these little glimpses into a past, and the poetry accompanies each photograph. So the installation allowed you to walk around at leisure, about 30 pieces at the time with music, and just reflect not just on the history and the space that was there in the shadows of the commandery, but also that within our own lives. So we leave a legacy. We, we have spaces and shadows that we either hide from or inhabit or seek shelter in. And as a result, there will be a book coming out as well, which will have wow. about 50 pieces in. So additional content to wow. the um, exhibition. Um, and the plan is also to have a little QR code on the book that you can scan and you can listen to the music that went along. Is this this hardback yes, coffee this is table co yes, that you talked so about? We don't know if it will be hardback or paperback yet. Okay. It might be paperback to make it more accessible. But yes, yeah, certainly a coffee table book where you'll have photograph on one page with the history of where the photo was taken and the accompanying poem as well. Sounds awesome. Mm, it's exciting. So is the commandery open to the public? It is, yes. Because I've been past it so many times, oh, wow. but I've never been in it. Just I'm never quite sure what it was. Yeah, so okay. it looks small from the outside. Yes. It is like a TARDIS. You will get lost in there. It was a printer's press. A printer's press? A printer's wow. press. Littlebury's printers were there and they published guidebooks and maps and all sorts of books during the 50s and it was at that time that the medieval paintings were discovered so a young girl was in the room which was being used as a storeroom but she started picking at the whitewash on the walls and uncovered the medieval paintings what a thing to discover i know so let's go from that end all the mm -hmm. way up to technology i know you're <laughs> a fan of technology like me mm -hmm. and i see that you've started to introduce technology mm -hmm. into your performances 
What's driving that? Is this the performative mm-hmm. side? Is this part of yes. your journey? Yes. And also it was this desire to show people, especially the younger generation, that poetry mixes with all art forms. Everybody can find something. I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do this large-scale performance piece. Tell us about your play. It's called Out of the Darkness, Twilight of Humanity. It's a combination of poetry with a message to humanity to take stock of its actions. It doesn't tell anybody what to do. It just says, this is what we're doing. Think about what you want to do about it. So I thought, if I mix that with music, with video work, straight away I've opened it up to other sections of an audience. So people didn't just have to sit and listen to me. How could I do that? I could have dance and drama. I work in a school. Students. Perfect. Would they be interested? So I presented this idea to the dance teacher. She was... Yeah, absolutely, really excited. And thought, what kind of music do I want? It's quite a hard-hitting play. It's been described as very thought-provoking. So I thought, something meaty, music-wise. And I'm a massive fan of a group called the Hollywood Vampires, which comprise their lead members are Alice Cooper, Joe Perry from Aerosmith, and Johnny Depp. I love their music. And they had not long released an album called Rise, and there were some songs on there that I thought, I know these songs are not written for this topic, but they fit the lyrics, the style of the music, the tone. So I started seeking how I could get permission to use their music. You can go down the usual route of just paying for the performance license, the copyright fees and using it. But this was all burgeoning and developing. And I thought, I want everybody to be able to see this. It was important for me that the students involved could express it the way that they wanted. So I could then offer this out to any school any youth group who want to perform it as a package there's the words the video work the music set the stage how you want to and they can have that for free just get in touch with me i will do workshops help them develop it if they want me to and it has now been performed a second time so i was trying to seek all this permission and i was putting all these emails messages out to all these contacts of the band that i could try and think of and i suddenly got an email back from a very close contact with johnny Depp. we've heard you're trying to do this what exactly are you trying to do with our music and why so i explained you know i wanted to incorporate the music in the play that it would be given for free for schools and so on any charges made for the performance for the audience would go back to the school or the youth group who were performing it to cover their costs I was taking nothing from it and they turned around and said yes then they turned around and gave me a most incredible quote which I have been allowed to use publicly in support of the performance and that's so this was the quote from band members with out of the darkness Lerner has created a hugely important and timely piece of work in which we are honored to offer our own minor contribution we salute all those involved both in front of and behind the scenes for their expertise and good conscience in highlighting the concerns we all as one species face today sincerely Alice Joe and Johnny what a tribute. You had to pick me up off the floor for several weeks after that. I, I can't believe they've, they've said that. So I'd actually sent them scripts and everything and they read it. They, they read my work and that's what they came back with, which I was incredibly honoured by. So it was performed October last year at Henry Sandon Hall. And we filled it. We filled the hall. And then this summer, another school in Worcester performed it and they did it completely differently. So the first performance, I was narrating. The students were dancing. The second performance, I was there as an audience member, which is wonderful for me. And the students did it as a drama piece. What an amazing achievement. 
How do people get in contact? So you can email me if you go on my website, which is pixiemuse.co.uk. There's a contact form there. Just drop me an email and I will come along and talk to you and see what we can develop together. Or even if you wanted something completely different, something completely bespoke, I'll do that too. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing Mm -hmm. some poetry with us. I would love to. I could share something very new that I'm I would love to hear something new. I recently this weekend took myself up to the Lake District just because. No other reason. It's what I do quite often. Hasn't got a title yet. Man's imprint is being thwarted by mountainous nature. Monstrous in her exceptional beauty, loud in her serenity. Goddess lives here, springs eternal here. We are trespassers, interlopers. The death of Middle Earth cannot come here, so deeply entrenched in rude wilderness and northern winds, it will survive us. It's a different realm. The playful sprites of home have stayed behind. The pipe-smoking dwarves of the mountains rule here. Dryads in some places near the shimmer of sunkissed lakes within woods. Mysticism is hiding, waiting the call only from those who know its power, not to be unleashed unwittingly by those who play at it. Nature is protected here, within the arms of goddess, the basic nature, a fauna, flower. We are tolerated more than welcomed. We feel challenged determined to overcome, but we will not. She will not allow it. Mankind will be thwarted in its refusal to coexist. Beautiful and so transporting. So that was written when I was up at the Air Force waterfalls. Lena Bachelor, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, thank you. And breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, thank you so much for joining me on this poetic podcast. You can find my poetry videos on YouTube and TikTok if you search for me, J. Rosanna. I do hope you will join me here again. My name is J. Rosanna and this has been The Poetic Podcast. Bye.